So, why don't we bow our heads and pray. Father, we rejoice in you and give thanks to you for this time that we have um, to look at your scriptures, um, to talk about the life of a godly saint, my mom. And Lord, we just ask and pray that the few gleanings that I talk about this morning would be used for good in the heart and mind of each one gathered here, that their love for you would be deeper because of it, that their desire to serve you in the earth would be greater because of it, O God. Watch over each one, I pray. Continue to build us up in the faith, I ask, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to start with the scripture, and that's found in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Sure, I have this. The scripture reads that we are to weep with those who weep, or as some translations put it, mourn with those who mourn. Same difference. The shortest verse in the whole Bible actually talks about weeping. It says, Jesus wept. And it was in regards to the funeral and death of Lazarus in John 11:35. I um, didn't know what kind of weeping we were capable of. I have what the human body's capable of till this week in my life, the gut-wrenching weeping that I've done for several days now. You have no idea. We still are completely stunned that my mom is gone. We just cannot believe how suddenly things can turn. She was sitting here last week listening to her last sermon, not even knowing it was her last sermon. Acts 12 And if someone would have told me a week ago that she wouldn't be with us, I couldn't have wrote that. I wouldn't believe that. So we don't know when we'll go. We never do. We had all these plans with my mom. All of us have been talking about that. All these plans we had, and we ain't able to do any of these plans because she's gone. We're thinking, oh, she'll be here at least a year. No, mom, it'll be two to four years. And... um it's going to be good. So in a sense, we felt gypped. <laughs> you know, like we have our plans, right? But God has his plans. Just to share with you what happened. Um, everything was good. Sunday evening, my mom mentioned twice that she felt some pain in her abdomen. Um, But nothing big. We enjoyed the evening, lots of laughter, talk in the living room with all the kids and her and me and some of the married kids were over, all enjoying each other's company. Went to bed that night. And then the next day, she started puking. And it looked like dry heaps. And when I first saw it, I was like, is that blood? And um, Because I was alarmed. But then I examined it and it wasn't blood. I could tell it was not blood, but it was this brownish color. But it wasn't blood. And I know from the doctors now it wasn't blood. So I had that right. And so we got, looked like she had dry heaves. She was puking every 20 minutes. But it wasn't like real heavy. It would just come up out of her. She never complained once. She never said, take me to the doctor. Let's go to the hospital. I need help. Anything like that. And so we figured she caught something. 
We'll just watch it, wait 24 hours, then decide what to do from there. Um, that all happened all Monday evening into Tuesday morning. And then we um, got her electric lights and to keep her fluid going in her. And we were just totally taking it as she caught some bug. She still hasn't asked to go anywhere. We just monitor it. And about Tuesday evening, she quit puking. And she told us she felt so much better. I feel fine. I feel so much better. And I remember I went up and bought her a can of um, low-sodium vegetable soup. Because I know whenever I'm sick from some stomach thing, I always like to break back in easy and light with something like that. And so I brought it home to her, and I said, you want a little of this soup, Mom? You don't have to eat it all, but would you like some of it? And she said, no, I'm just going to wait till the morning, and I'll eat my soup then. And I said, okay, and put her to bed and told her I loved her. Went to sleep, and thinking everything was fine, texted my sister, let her know everything's good now. It was an awful 24 hours, but everything looks good. She feels better. The puking has stopped. Um, woke up the next morning, puke all over again. That same thing, all over. And I was alarmed, and I called for my daughters um, to help. Clara was driving Rochelle to work, and Priscilla and Margaret came in, and right away they said, Dad, you got to take her to the hospital. And I knew instantly I had to. And we changed her out um, of her clothes, and put her in the wheelchair, and I drove like 100 miles an hour to the hospital. That's how concerned I was, how quickly she was dropping. And we made it to the hospital, and we went in, and they um, hooked her up to an IV and began to try to figure out what was wrong with her. And about 30 minutes into it, the doctor pulled me aside, said, we don't know if she's going to make it. Well, she made it. Her color returned pretty good. She was doing much better, it seemed to me. But she was then in excruciating pain. And I mean excruciating pain. And so the nurse came to give her a painkiller, and she looked at me and she said, this is a very strong narcotic, and this will take the pain away. I said, okay. Told my mom. She was somewhat confused, but still very coherent. And you could talk to her. And hold her. And so they um, gave her the narcotic. She went out briefly for like 15 minutes. And all of a sudden she came back too in excruciating pain still. And the um, nurse looked at me and she said, I can't believe that. She said, and this is the term she used, she said, I walloped her. And so she gave her more painkiller. Well, come to find out from my sister when we were doing later the um, pre-surgery consultation, because my sister was on the phone from Michigan. She had all the you know power of attorney and those types of things. And I was there, of course, with the surgeon. My sister brought up to her, she's a polio victim from when she was a child. And when she a person has had polio, they need half the anesthetic during surgery. And for their pain, they need twice as much painkiller than the average person would need. 
So when I heard my sister say that, immediately my mind went to that, how the nurse had to give her so much more to stop the pain. And when my sister said that, I looked at the surgeon's face, and you could tell she was kind of like, okay, is this woman quack, or should I believe this? Or... And so there was this pause, and then my sister said, when my mom had her open-heart surgery 10 years ago, the anesthesiologist had to give her half as much. And the first thing she said before she said that was, she said, you might think that sounds crazy. It was like the perfect thing my sister could have said, because she was thinking she was crazy. And, um, and, so, and then she told her about the surgery, how the anesthesiologist had to use half as much, how they spent hours researching that because someone had brought it up to them just before the surgery. They had to actually delay it somewhat. So that got the surgeon's attention real good. She took notes and everything. So then they explained to us what had happened was my mom had a hernia. And one of the things we've since found out is that when you have open heart surgery like my mom did, you can often develop a hernia right where she developed one. And um, so the hernia had reached such a point where it was so large, nobody knew about it. My sister didn't know about it. My mom didn't know about it. We certainly didn't know about it. So large that actually her stomach drew up into her chest cavity which happens to people who are elderly or have this hernia um, with some regularity. And um, so they explain that's why she's having a hard time talking, only get a couple words out at a time. That's why she's having a rough time breathing because the stomach is literally up into the chest cavity behind the heart and the lungs are compressed and aren't getting the air that they should get. So I'm telling you, if you ever see anyone who seems to be dry heaving um, every 20 to 40 minutes, little puddles of brownish-looking fluid. That's a really bad sign, and you need to get them to the hospital immediately. So anyways, when they found out finally what was wrong with her, they, we were at St. Joe's up in West Bend. They said, we don't have the expertise for this type of surgery. And we're going to transport her down to Freightert. There's a specialist there. We go to Freightert, meet the specialist, explains what's going on, what they're going to do. Surgery, they said, was an hour and a half. They didn't want her on the table more than two hours because they afraid she would die. Well, it was a full three hours, if not more. That didn't bode well with any of us. You know how big our family is. All gathered there. They made an exception for us. All the kids were supposed to leave at 8. They said, well, since she's in surgery, we'll let... Your kids stay, but you got to keep them quiet. And um, when she finally came in, it was almost 10.30, something like that, the surgeon, I mean, and she sat down with me and Clara, and um, I think Crispin was there, and I don't know who else was there, maybe Joshua. And um, she explained to us um, that the surgery... Um, didn't go as expected, that when they went inside her, they found that part of her stomach was dead, that there was a golf ball-sized hole in her stomach. And, of course, that meant the stomach contents had spilled out into the body, which, of course, means poison, poison, poison. It means bad, bad, bad. So the surgeon was nice and tried to give us an upbeat outlook. 
she's going to go one of two ways. She'll either be gone within three days, she said, or she'll somehow make this tremendous recovery and she'll be with us longer. But she said, it, if it goes that way, it'll be a long recovery. She's talking like months. She said they didn't get to close up the hernia because they had already been, she had already been on the table three hours and they felt like they spent another that time to close that up. She might die before they even got out of the operating room. So they, um, so we went home and I told Clara, I said, the whole tone I got from that thing is that this is bad, 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 that this is not good. I don't, and I spent Wednesday evening, when I walked into my mom's room, you see now you see everything the way it was when you left in a flurry to rush her to the hospital. It's all there, canes there. And I just spent a long time just weeping because I knew this, this was bad. So we got up the next morning and went there and they wouldn't let us in. We spent an hour and a half waiting to get in. And I'm a pastor. I've been to ICU many times. You might get delayed five minutes, maybe ten minutes, because they're doing something, but an hour and a half, what in the world's going on up there? So when they finally let us up, we go up, and here's four doctors, two nurses, all standing very solemn in the room, and the one doctor explains to me what happened. And they said that she was still leaking fluid from her stomach. And um, And I... I didn't fault the surgeon for that. She had told me, she said, you know, when we were in there, it was very difficult to see which tissue, where to make the cut. Because she said, you want to remove as little of the stomach as possible so they're not left with a bag the rest of their life out the side of their body and those types of things. And um, so she tried to be as careful as she was, could to save as much of the stomach as possible. So obviously she didn't get enough, and it leaked out. And they put a tube in the side of my mom in order to hold the stomach in place because you have to pull it back down from the esophagus. And so the tube, they then told me, fell out. So it's like everything that could possibly go wrong was going wrong. Her stomach had burst, stomach wasn't repaired, and now the tube fell out that holds her stomach down and her stomach's back up in her chest cavity. And we knew what that meant. And they knew that. They knew what that meant. And um, the goodness there was that I always knew that my mom wanted to be with him. She talked about it. So it's time to say goodbye. Say goodbye, sorry. One of the things that I was astounded by when we got to the hospital over there at St. Joseph's and then at Freighter was like the the talk of all the medical people was, you know, what medications is she on? Well, my mom wasn't on any. She um, came here in the spring. Me and Claire were like, you need to get off all this dopey stuff. Talked to my sister. She was already thinking that my mom had taken this stuff for years. And... Twelve pharmaceuticals. And my sister took it to heart, and within six weeks, my mom was off everything. 
even the drug that the doctor told her would probably take six months to wean her off. Six weeks, she was done off all of it. And uh, when I talked to her on the phone, way more acuity in the mind, way more clarity of thought. And when she came here, she looked better. Some of you saw her in May and April. Some of you saw her when she came here the last two Sundays. Some of you visited my house and saw her. She's walking with a cane. Now when she came in here, she couldn't do long distances, but everywhere in the house, no more of this walker and all that stuff or putting her in the wheelchair, moving around. Tried to get my mom to go outside and enjoy the weather because it wasn't one of the awesome weather we had this fall. My mom was always like, I don't want to go out. <laughs> it's like, you're going out. <laughs> so take her out. And she was happy as a lark once she was out there, you know. But all these, all these doctors were like, thought me and Claire were like liars. It's, this is an 82-year-old woman. You're trying to tell us there's no medications. And it got to the point where you thought like police were going to show up. You know, I mean, it's like, they're like viewing you as like negligent or so suspect. I mean, it was bizarre. Several people coming in, questioning you about the same thing, asking the same question four and five times. No, she's 82 and she's on nothing. <laughs> and she's fine. Her blood pressure wasn't high. She doesn't have diabetes. Imagine that. Think of all the people who lived for all these years prior to all this stuff that lived into their 80s. Just read history. Tons of people lived into their 80s. <laughs> it's like without all those pharmaceuticals. You know, it's like. So that was a great blessing to us to see how my mom had given all that up. She was eating. She was more hardcore than me and Claire about eating, right? Me and Claire cheat. <laughs> you know, it's like nobody's around. <laughs> you know? My mom was like, Dr. Marty said I can't eat that. Dr. Marty's the nutritionist we took her to. Dr. Marty said I can't eat that. I'm not eating that. <laughs> I was just like, holy cow. If you knew my mom, she started a diet a million times throughout her life. It would last at the most two months, and then she'd be back to the jelly beans and, uh, you know, KFC and <laughs> all that stuff, you know. But not this time. This time she was serious about what she was doing. I wanted to share a little bit about my mom. I want everyone to know that my mom not only was the first in our family to break the curse and embrace Christ, which I talked about in that sermon that I preached on Mother's Day this past year, but she patterned who he is to all of us. And I could share all kinds of examples, but I just want to share three quick ones with you. First, I want you to know that she interposed at the door of a death camp back in 1989 in the city of Detroit. So she was arrested, and my mom went to jail, spent two nights in jail after she was sentenced to three days <laughs> for doing the huge crime of trying to rescue a baby from being butchered, the knife of an abortionist. My mom opposed the slaughter of the preborn always, even before she was a Christian. She taught me against abortion. My mom was a good woman. You can ask my brother Mike, who's sitting back here. She always taught us right, always taught us wrong. And it was always in line with Scripture, even when we didn't know Scripture. She taught us right and wrong. She loved her neighbor. My mom always taught all of us to stand against evil, to speak our mind, to not be silent, to take action. And those are good traits to have for a Christian. 
and they can be used properly, those traits, in service to Christ. She taught us indifference is not a virtue. Always communicated that. Indifference is not a virtue. Don't be indifferent to the evil, to the wrongs, to the injustices of others. This is her Bible, which she didn't have a lot left on this planet. And when we were like, who wants what? I'm like, I want her Bible. (laughs) She has notes in here going all the way back to 1988. I mean, that's pretty astounding, right? And why my mom writes stuff down is the same reason I write stuff down. Because I think maybe one day my kids will pick this up and read some of my thoughts. And it will be a blessing to them. She has no idea what a blessing this is to me that she did that. So in here she has this quote from Chuck Colson. And the quote she wrote down from him is, Silence is not always golden. Sometimes it's yellow. Silence is not always golden. Sometimes it's yellow. That was my mom. There's something wrong. She'll, she's going to talk about it. She isn't going to be quiet and let it just go. And You saw some of that. It's rubbed off on me. you got to speak up. Sometimes it's yellow. We have to speak up. The second thing I want you to know is that when my dad died back in 2005, which was a painful experience, it was my mom who was on the phone with him the last hour of his life, praying with him as he went to be with the Lord, because my dad had later made a confession of faith in Christ, long after my mom. My dad had left her for another woman when I was just 11. He subsequently came to Christ long after, and here she was praying with my dad the last hour of his life on earth. She patterned Christ to us. She was willing to forgive and to love. If you know anything about divorce, it's a huge pain to people. It's a massive grief. And she was willing to set that aside and talk with my dad. I know my mom expressed to me in tears how my dad had called her Just a couple months before he died, he knew it was going to go. He had lung cancer. And in tears, he told her how she was the best woman. Thanked her for raising up five of us. How good we all turned out. That meant the world to my mom to hear those words. She needed to hear. Third thing I want you to know is when I was ready to end my life at 17 years old during a demonic and hallucinogenic experience, she stayed at my side and prayed with me for hours till I fell asleep. I know some of you know the story on this. I'll just share it briefly for those who haven't heard it. There was a, you know, I'm a total rebel jerk, you know living in total rebellion, doing evil things. 
part of a gang. Me and another guy are hanging out with these two girls. We find a Ouija board. Don't know what a Ouija board is. I was just sitting there. wasn't in the game box. And I asked, um, hey, what's this? And they said, oh, that's a Ouija board. And me and my friend said, well, what's a Ouija board? And the two girls explained to us that for them, it was a thing that they used to pray to Satan. And me and the other guy are just laughing. We didn't believe in God. We didn't believe in Satan. We just believed nothing like this whole culture teaches you to think. And finally I said, well, you tell us something that, you tell me something that's going to happen to me. And um, they put their fingers on the edge of the Ouija board and they closed their eyes and they're saying a bunch of mumbo jumbo, literally. And me and my friend look at each other like, you believe this? And finally they stopped, both at the same time, with their eyes closed. That was a little freaky. And the one girl looked at me and she said, in one week you're going to lose all your tea. She was talking about PCP, an animal tranquilizer that I dealt in. And uh, would sell grams of to other people, and I did all the time. It messes your mind up. I used to sit in the alley for hours at a time in between garbage cans, all paranoid that someone would see me. Yeah, that was supposed to bring you happiness, you know, give you meaning in life and all that nonsense. So anyways, during that week I got in a fight. Uh, I was in a white gang, we were fighting black gangs, and I got cut right across here in a fight. So we went back two days later, we found out where the guy lived, and we firebombed his house. Left there, went to a guy's house who literally had jars this big, full of mescaline, which are about, you know, if you ever saw a mescaline, size of nothing, really. He had a dog I remember named Satan, Doberman Pinscher named Satan. He gave it to us. I did mescaline, LSD, PCP. I did it all the time, all the time. So this was not just, oh, you're freaking out on drug stuff, understand? So I went home that night, got home about 3 in the morning, went walking past my mom's bedroom, and as I walked past, she goes, Hey, Matt, kind of startled me. I said, What? And she said, What's wrong with you? And I said, Nothing's wrong with me. She said, What's wrong with you, Matt? And I said, There's nothing wrong with me. Why are you asking? And she turns on the light, and she said, I'm asking because of all this. And she has my needle, all my grams of PCP, takes them all, goes down to the incinerator, throws them in, fires that thing up. I stumble into the bathroom while she's doing that. All I'm thinking about is, there goes all my money, I'm starting back over from ground zero, you know, and all that kind of thing. I go upstairs, I lay down in bed, and that's all I'm thinking about, how I'm going to start, build this back up. All of a sudden, a thought came to my mind. It's been one week, and you just lost all your PCP. And all of a sudden I heard demonic laughter and the voice started speaking to me saying, tonight you're mine, tonight you die, and you're mine. I was horrified, drenched in sweat, spent 45 minutes afraid to get out of the bed. I finally did, ran all the way downstairs to my mom's room, woke her up and said, Mom, I want to get saved. Because <laughs> my mom had become a Christian two and a half years earlier. And her story is unbelievable, what God did in her life. I knew something happened to her. And I knew what she had told me about how I'm a sinner, how if I die in my sins, I will go to hell, how I need to turn from my sin and believe in Jesus, and I'll become a new creature. He'll change your life, Matt. 
And I knew I was, I, I now believe in the devil, and I knew by deductive reasoning, if there was a devil, there had to be a God, and I was in a bad way. I'm going to hell. That's why I ran down there and said, Mom, I want to get saved. And my mom's already back to sleep, and she she's like, what? What? You want to get saved? <laughs> she's out of it, you know? And she sat me down on the bed and let me in the sinner, led me in the sinner's prayer, and... I looked at her when we were done praying, and I said, now take me to the hospital, Mom. I need to get strapped down. Because all the thoughts I was having in my head was just to kill everybody in my home, run down the street and kill as many people as I could see before I was finally killed. And I felt I was a severe danger to this woman that I loved. That's why I wanted to go to the hospital and just get strapped down until it passed. And I explained that to her, and she's like, I'm not taking you to the hospital. And we went for 20 minutes back and forth, fighting about her taking me to the hospital. And finally she says, come out to the living room and lay down on the couch. And I did. And she spent at least the next two hours next to my side praying with her son. My mom was always there for us. She always put her children before herself. And again, she patterned Christ to us. She taught us to be other-centered rather than self-centered. And I know I'm not the best at that, and it's been a long, long, lifelong refining process to be other-centered rather than self-centered. But it's something she taught us. My brother Mike sitting back there, he'll tell you that she was there at your most needed hour. Proverbs 31, verse 28 says, Her children rise up and call her blessed. And I can assure you that's the testimony of all five of her children. One thing I learned from her, she always tried to keep the family together. If trouble was brewing, she did all she could to build our relationships with one another. There were times she would tell me, have you called so-and-so and told them blah, blah, blah? (laughs) You know? And I go, why, did they say something? Oh, no, nobody said anything. That was probably a little white lie. <laughs> no, but you knew, okay, I need to call this sibling, you know, and talk with them. She always tried to keep the family together and keep us loving each other. And this totally impacted how I've run my home. It's one of the things I have done right in my home is that if there's any trouble in our home, and I'm not just talking about the everyday little conflicts, I'm talking about, you know, those big things where you see walls going up in between people, everything stops in our house. We ask any of our kids, everybody gathers together. It might be 45 minutes, it might be four hours, but no one's leaving, my day stops, the schedule's wiped clear, I don't care what's going on, family matters. And we're going to work through this and stick together. So important to do. And I learned that from my mom. I wanted to read this little thing that she wrote in the in her Bible here, if I could. She says, um, let me see if I can find it, hopefully. This is just one example of how she was. This is from... July 5th, 1988. She writes, A dream for a marriage died last week. 
and I have struggled to become what God has already made me, worthy, good enough, and when the right man comes along, I'll be everything he needs me to be. My mom always wanted to find a man to marry, and it was never God's will for her. She remained single from the time my dad divorced her way back when I was 11 years old. So this was obviously some guy she had met at church. I remember telling me, faintly remember telling me about this, and it all collapsed and they didn't get married. She goes on and says, Oh, how the Lord has blessed me with each and every one of my children. She finds so much joy and delight in us. Dinner with Tom tonight, that's one of my brothers, was a delight. Jeff stopping by was a want, was a wonderful surprise, another one of my brothers. Mike's visit last week was a joy. My brother's sitting back there. And Mary's constant fellowship is like a living well. She goes on and writes, number one, Mike moves into an apartment this week. Number two, Matt is starting a church in Wisconsin. That's why I wasn't there to visit her. <laughs> it was over here with mercy seats starting. Number three, Mary is increasing her family with a new baby due next month. Number four, Tom is starting his own business. Number five, Jeff is starting school for a change in life's work. And then she writes, thank you for them all, Lord, and for the fine people they become. As I listen to my children and grandchildren over the last few days talk about her, I was struck by the love they held for her. They wept, they drew pictures for her and told stories. All kind, everybody had stories about Grandma. She had played an important role in their understanding what it is to be a Christian. She had taught them what it means to have family. She had patterned Christ for them also. Some of them not alone or there that long. I look at my three daughters here, all young. They've cried their eyes out the last three days. All of the grandkids and great-grandkids said that she made us feel special. This is their testimony, separate from each other when I've been talking to them over the last three days. So what's your biggest memory of grandma or great-grandma? Every one of them said, she made me feel special. I had a special connection to her. I wasn't just one of a bunch of grandkids. And we know we have a lot of those, right? <laughs> she made a connection with me that was so special. And they explained to me what each thing was and how she had that ability. They too understood what, they too saw what Proverbs 31:28 says, her children rise up and call her blessed. Amen. I want to give you a warning about busyness because life is a busy thing. My mom had just moved into our home to live with us two and a half weeks ago, and it is a tre- it was a treasure. I got to tell you, just to come home and see your mom sitting there, it's like, there's my mom. <laughs> you know, you're just like, there she is, you know. It was so nice to pray with her, nice to sit down and talk with her, to drag her outside, to sit, enjoy the outdoors and a few minutes of conversation or just peace. 
it was nice to take her socks off at night. <laughs> I was the guy who took her socks off each night. <laughs> One of the girls would put, their, put her socks on for her in the morning. So we had this evening where it was a week ago Tuesday. Priscilla had a volleyball game. Clara went. The other girls wanted to see her play. By the way, Priscilla's volleyball team hasn't won yet. So you can pray for her. <laughs> Even in multiple defeats, there's lessons. Amen? Remember Thomas Edison? <laughs> so, a lot to learn from failing. <laughs> so, so, anyways, me and Mom had the evening alone. I knew they were all leaving. So I said, I'll just hang out here with Mom. And um, I put on this movie I wanted her to see called um, True Grit. Not the John Wayne version, I wasn't into that, but the Jeff Bridges version, which just came out a few years ago. If you haven't seen it, I view it as uh, one of the better films I've ever seen. So I wanted her to see it. Starts out with a scripture verse right on the screen. The wicked, the wicked flee, though no man pursueth. <laughs> King James Version. And um, so we watched that film together. I made her popcorn. Um, brought out her favorite lemon cake ice cream. Um, and we were kind of being bad about that, but that's okay. Mike was a little bad about that. Mary was a little bad about that. <laughs> we would tell our little white lie. <laughs> she said, now this is non-dairy, right? Oh, it's non-dairy, Mom. <laughs> well, actually, there was a little dairy in it. <laughs> so, But we just... Love to watch her eat it because she got such joy out of eating that lemon cake ice cream, you know. So I got her lemon cake ice cream and we sat there and I had to, we had conversation. I had to explain certain parts of the film to her because she didn't quite get it. And when we were all done, I took her, the Claire and the kids still weren't home. I said, ready to go to bed? And she's like, yeah. So got her in bed took her socks off, and she stopped me, and she said, I just want you to know, Matt, this was the best evening of my whole life. And she went on to, she just went on and on about it. And I learned from my kids since then, she told every one of them about it, how much that evening meant to her. You know how we all have regrets about, why didn't I say something here? Why I told her, I love you, Mom, and it was like she was, I almost felt like telling her, you're talking like you're going to be leaving us, Mom. <laughs> but I didn't say it. I didn't say it to her. And I never felt like I expressed my love to my mom. Just never felt like I could. That I could never express my honor for her. Good enough. And that's another time. I told her I loved her kissed her and she went to bed. Never dreaming that this would happen this quick. Never would have dreamed. What was sad about the final days, when two days when she was sick, was I was totally in the mindset of going out to Idaho. And I was so busy and I was like, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. Woke up one morning, the Wi-Fi's out, there's no hot water. That was Tuesday morning. Unzaps by to show us the cat that we sold to him. Wants to see the mo- thought he might want to see the mother cat. I'm like, kittens don't uh, kittens don't want to see their mothers once they're gone. You know, 
I said, I said, my cat's got kittens again. He couldn't believe it. He just bought the cat three months ago, and there's a whole litter of five kittens sitting there. I said, she'll kill your cat. (laughs) I said, those is what I told him. Those little cartoons we watch about animals acting like people. I said, it's not true. (laughs) They don't think, where's mom? (laughs) You know. You know. Anyways, we showed love to him and everything, you know, and. Hey, we're getting breakfast ready. Want some breakfast? And told him about everything that's been going wrong. My mom's sick in the other room. And anyways, it was. I look back on it, and it was like for all the time that I was spending with my mom leading up to right when that sickness happened, versus those last two days when she had that sickness. It was sad. I was so busy. And I was thinking about her, and I was going in and checking on her and all that, but I was busy. I got so little time in that last 48 hours. Don't ever be too busy. Always remember what's important. I remember coming home and seeing my wife. We have 8 million kids, and come in, and the house looks like a bomb hit it. And you're like, what the heck? You know, it's like, and she's just sitting there with a bunch of kids around her reading them a story. Dumb Matt. Get upset. You just saw sitting here, like, how's the album? Looking like this, blah, blah, blah. Took me years to figure out. Clara had it right. Clara had it right. It helped me change. She's, that woman, my wife, has helped me change so much. Just being able to hold her. And weep, and it's been both ways. Where she's just been, just weep. It's so hard. I want to give you an exhortation about how he changes the average ignorant American family. That was our family. Ask my brother Mike. We're the average American ignorant family. Not a clue. Being led by the nose by this dumb, Christ hating culture. And one person bows the knee to Christ and impacts so many other lives. One of the things I loved about putting up, you know, my love-hate relationship with Facebook, right? So I posted about my mom and um, 600 and some responses, 300 and some comments. You don't know how much that meant to me to read those. It took me two days to read through them. I couldn't go. You're just bawling your eyes out. The day my mom was going on Thursday... She died at 1.25 a.m. on Friday when she was going. The grandkids who couldn't be here and my um, friends and um, people and kids from Michigan are sending text messages to me to read to her just to put by her ear because I'm always of the belief, even though they can't talk back, they can still hear you. I go. I, that's what I go with. And um, I tell you, you didn't think you could... It was so hard reading through those. You didn't think you could cry anymore. And then you start reading one of those things. You see how much impact she had on so many people. And one of the things that several people said on Facebook that was such a blessing to me is how you see how God changes one person. They're used to change another person and just the snowball effect it had. And though they had never met my mom, how much it meant to them in heartfelt ways that she was gone. Because they knew me, and they saw my love for her. 
and the impact she had on me. And that's true. That's how it works. You see how God changes one person, they're used to change another person, and just the snowball effect it had. The goodness my mom brought to our home by being there was huge. It teaches the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren about family, about honor, about duty, having that time together. And we live in a culture that tries to rob that from all people. Though for some, it was very short. For all of us, it was short. Two and a half weeks. They had begun to learn from the spring one, from this fall one. And more is coming. My kids, my grandkids, my great-grandkids, they'll all learn more as time goes on. I want to give an exhortation to you that we're born in a Christian home. Because although I came from a average, ignorant American family living in abject rebellion to God, all messed up, and then Christ radically changed me. You can live in a Christian home, be raised in a Christian home, know how to think as a Christian, speak as a Christian, but you never truly came to know Christ. You do understand each of us must be born again. You must be born again. If you say to me, well, I'm not sure if I've been born again. If, if you have that thought, you haven't been born again. You might wonder, well, how do I get born again? You have to recognize your sin for the evil it is. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. We live in the midst of a Christianity that tries to aid and abet everybody in their sin. It's the most evil thing you can do to your fellow man. It's wicked. Men need to see their sin for what it is. And when you see that, you know your only hope is Jesus. And then you believe in him. That's what it means to believe in him. You see your sin for what it is. You know he's the only means of salvation. The only hope for all the evil you've done. That's what it means. to. This is not just some like, believe in Jesus. You know. Just a Christian version of believe in yourself. You know. It means believe in him. Because you see it is your only hope to be right with God. To have forgiveness of sin. He radically transforms us. The scripture says we become new creatures. I mean, you're totally different. You actually want to pray. You actually want to read the Bible. You actually want to tell others about him. When you see his law and word being impugned, you want to speak out against that. And especially when it's the governments of men impugning his law and word. You want to speak out against that. The scripture says... A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of one's death better than the day of one's birth. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1. A good name is better than precious ointment. That's what my mom left us, a good name. Proverbs 31, verse 31 says, Honor her for all that her hands have done, and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. 1 Corinthians 15, 55-58 declares, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you 
know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? She's with him now. One lady wrote to me, her name's Mary Sieber. She was actually sending my mom letters already. They've been friends for a long, long time, decades. So I said to my mom when a letter came last week, I said, hey, mom, you want me to dictate a letter to Mary for you? She had this big smile. You'd do that? I go, yeah, <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> she had my mom at the beginning of glaucoma. She couldn't see all that great. And um, we had it all lined up to take her in for, you know, an eye test. We had her all lined up to see Dr. Marty, who she loved and adored. When she got here, I can't see Dr. Marty till two and a half weeks from now. <laughs> I go, yeah, that's as soon as he could get. We could get you in to see him, mom. And uh, she goes, well, that's a long time, she said. <laughs> the morning we had to take her to the hospital was the morning she was supposed to see him. Josh, my son, had bought her a massage because Clara had massaged her. And she thought it was so wonderful. And Clara uses that essential oil stuff, right? The oil stuff. And um, so my mom felt so much better. So Josh, he gets massages. Josh has like this $10 million hot tub at his house that he always wants you to get into, and I don't like water. <laughs> so, but it helps his body out a lot. And he just wanted to show love to his grandma. He had this whole surprise. We didn't know, don't tell her. I want it to be a surprise. She was supposed to go tomorrow. She'll never know. Right before she died, right before she went into surgery, while she was still cognizant, Crispin made it to the hospital just before then, and was able to tell his grandma that her 21st grandchild from the Matt and Clara line, <laughs> her 21st great-grandchild, I should say, and um, her 35th great-grandchild altogether, I believe it is, was on its way. For those of you who didn't know, Crispin and Marlissa are having another baby. <laughs> so that's exciting. So she got a big smile on her face. She went in knowing that. Crispin asked her, are you ready? Do you know what's going on here? Are you at peace? She said, amen. I am at peace. This lady, Mary Sieber, who I wrote the letter to um, for my mom, she wrote to me and she said, Mary Kuzner, now this was a friend of the family from when I was just a little kid. After my mom became a Christian, Mary and her were still friends. So Mary Sieber writes about Mary Kuzner. Mary Kuzner wants me to have you tell Annie that she loves her and thanks her for bringing her to Christ. Amen. Where she learned of the love of Jesus that changed her life. When Mary, talking about Mary Kuzner, saw the change in Annie's demeanor, talking about my mom. She asked what had happened, and Annie said much the same thing that Valerie had told Annie. Valerie was my godmother who led my mom to Christ. She was a total disaster, literally in a padded room, and destroyed her body and mind through alcoholism. Four women came in, laid hands on her. God restored her. Everybody was like, that's good for you, Valerie. You needed that. <laughs> my mom was desperate. Valerie didn't want to tell my mom anything. 
about Jesus by the time she got to my house, <laughs> because my mom's house, our house, because, yeah, everybody else had pretty much dismissed her. And so finally she blurted out to my mom, it's Jesus, Annie, that's my counselor. It's Jesus. Because my mom wanted to know what counselor she was seeing because she looked so good. <laughs> my mom said, I just sat there. My mouth probably was hanging open. <laughs> but sin had brought my mom down. Life had brought her down. And she had ears to hear. And it was just two months after that that she came to Christ. So she writes here and he says, she says, when Mary saw the change in Annie's demeanor, she asked what had happened, and Annie said much the same thing that Valerie had told Annie, that it was Jesus. Mary feels thankful. So Valerie drew Annie in, and Annie drew Mary in. This is how the church has grown since the beginning. Amen. Their kids were the same age, and much of those year, early years growing in Jesus were entwined. I want to read one last thing to you because I know I've been long, but I thank you so much because this has been so good for me. I got to tell you, just to be able to talk to you all about all this means a lot to me. Scripture reads in Psalm 116, verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Amen. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, the just man walketh in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. My mom was just. She taught us integrity by living a life of integrity. One old guy who wrote to me said, Nearing my 85th birthday, I wonder how my children will remember me. Hopefully that I was a meaningful blessing to them. I've had so many people express that to me. How they hope their children and grandchildren Think of them as well as I've expressed how I feel about my mom. That means a lot to people. In the end, it means everything to people. All the other stuff don't really mean much. One thing I'm always stunned by is when someone dies who's close to you, when you walk in, all the stuff they had now lays still. They have no need of that anymore. All that material stuff. Think well to Christ. One guy wrote to me, and he, I thought this was really good, so I wanted to share it with you if I could. And he just sent it from someone he had got it from. But it says, In God's plan, every life is long enough and every death is timely. And though you and I might wish for a longer life, God knows better. And this is important. Though you and I may wish a longer life for our loved ones, they don't. While we are shaking heads in disbelief, they are lifting hands in worship. While we are mourning at a grave, they are marveling at heaven. While we are questioning God, they are praising God. Isn't that powerful? It's so beautiful. Had this sent to me, O happy death, that will ease us of all the aches of our bodies and conflicts in our souls. Thou art the only physician to cure all the saints, distempers in both. When that blessed hour comes, then lift up your heads with joy, for it will lead you into the blissful place where you shall see Christ, not a far way off. 
with the eye of faith and the optic glass of an ordinance or promise, but with a glorified eye, behold his very person, never more to lose the sight of him. Thou shalt not taste his love in a little morsel of bread and a sip of wine, but lay thy mouth to the fountain itself, and from his bosom drink thy full draught. Thou shalt no more hear what a glorious place heaven is, as thou wert wont to have it set forth by the sorry rhetoric of a mortal man preaching to thee of that with which himself was but little acquainted, but shalt walk thyself in the streets of that glorious city, and bless thyself when thou art there, to think what poor, low thoughts thou and thy minister also had thereof, when on earth thou didst meditate, and he did preach on this subject." One moment's sight of that glory will inform thee more than all the comments and books written of it were ever able to do. Amen? My mom's with him. Somebody sent me part of a hymn. I don't know if you won't know this hymn, Ernie, but it says, Lord, when your glory I shall see and taste your kingdom's pleasure, your blood my royal robe shall be, my joy beyond all measure. When I appear before your throne, your righteousness shall be my crown. With these I need not hide me. And there in garments richly wrought, as your own bride, I shall be brought to stand in joy beside you. I think it's a hymn, but I don't know which one it is. I was so blessed when I saw some younger women say, I hope I can be a good mom. I hope I can be a good mom. After reading about your mom. And my mom wasn't perfect. None of us are. I mean, a person on the planet, we all suck in some way. I say that all the time. We're all human beings. But we should love each other, amen? We should do right by each other. Know this, this sermon about my mom, these thoughts about her do not cover all I would want to say or could think to say. This is just a few. And in all honesty, I don't know if I could ever actually express or demonstrate and convey my love for her and the honor I have for her. Let's stand up. We'll close in a word of prayer. Father, we rejoice in you and we give thanks to you for your goodness to us. We thank you that you have redeemed us through your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for any who may be with us this morning who doesn't know you, that your Holy Spirit would convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, that they would see their sin for the awful thing it is, and hence see their need for your Son, Jesus Christ, Father. Bow their knee before you and follow after him. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us because even in death, I have seen so much goodness. There is goodness found throughout your created order. And I thank you for this, Lord. I ask and pray that each one of us would love our wives, that we'd love our children, we'd love our husbands, we'd love our families, that we'd love our neighbor, O oh God, that we would make you known to men 
that we would not give in to modern-day Christianity, which wants to aid and abet men in their sin, but that we will be faithful and true and to declare the truth of your law, word, and gospel to men. Lord, we rejoice in you and thank you for the redemption we found in your Son and ask that you continue to build us up in the faith and that our hearts would hunger for you and that we would draw close to you in scripture reading and prayer. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise his holy name. You could be seated. And we're going to take communion at this time. And you can feel free to take communion with us as long as you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you not take communion. A couple of things I wanted to read to you while you're getting the elements from my mom's Bible that I thought were really good. This one I really loved because, like I said, all of us are mere men, right? All of us are mere men. And here was something I found that she prayed. She wrote a prayer, very short, in her Bible. It says, Lord, please. And then the word please is underlined twice. My mom would always do that. And, um, Lord, please give me a humble and meek spirit. And then she wrote again, please. (laughs) Something I prayed for so many times over life. There's my mom praying the same thing. And then there was this quote I wanted you to hear because I got a great kick out of it. This is just a thought she had that she wrote down. And then she put a little smiley face at the end of it. Because my kids always remind me, Grandma always put the little smiley faces <laughs> on all the cards she would send. We always loved, um, you know, at, at the beginning, Mom would always remember our birthdays and give us kids money. Then we started having grandkids. And she'd give us and grandkids money. Then we started having lots of grandkids. So then the kids were out. <laughs> Just the grandkids get a gift. She always remembered everybody's birthday. Then the great-grandkids started coming in droves. And so then the grandkids were cut off at 18. <laughs> That's the last time you get a gift from Grandma. And it wasn't a lot, $15, maybe $25. But it meant the world to you to get that card and Grandma remembering you, right? So anyway, but here's what she wrote. She said, don't talk unless you can improve the silence. <laughs> I love that. She also gave a whole list, all you young girls out there and women, all you single gals. She gave a whole list of what to look for in a man to marry. So if you ever want to know what that is, just shoot me an email. (laughs) I'll let you know. When we observe the Lord's table, we're simply doing what the early church did, what the church has done for centuries. And we observe his table every week at Mercy Seat as it's the pattern laid down by the early church. And we find it needful because man in all his religiosity always wants to think he obtains right standing with God through his good works. Like something he's done gives him right standing. And that's a lie. What gives us right standing with God is Christ plus nothing. That's why he died on the cross. We should have been put to death for our sins. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But God in his mercy sent his son to die in our place so that if we'll turn from our sin and believe in him, God will forgive us of our sin and we obtain right standing with the Father. 
And we can have those kind of crazy thoughts even after we truly come to know Christ. We can say, Father, I come before you through faith in Jesus. That's what we're saying with our lips. But in the back of our head, we're thinking, how good have I been? And if I've been good, then I think I get in. If I haven't been doing that great, then I think, oh, I'm not going to get in. I better have a pity party with God. Maybe do like some form of Protestant penance, you know, feel blue for three days. Maybe, maybe I can get in, right? And it's not true. The only way we ever get into his presence, whether we've been a Christian five seconds or 55 years, is through Jesus, plus nothing, because of the blood which he shed when he died on the cross. And that's why the scriptures call this a great salvation. So we don't do good works in order to try to obtain God's acceptance. Rather, we do good works because we have obtained his acceptance. The good works that we do, the holy living that we display, is the fruit or the result or the evidence of our saving faith in Christ. And the Apostle Paul wrote of the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians 11. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then the Apostle Paul writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Amen. It's because of what Jesus did at Calvary that we're able to meet with the Father. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great salvation. We thank you for your goodness to us. The redemption that we find through your Son. And you redeemed us not with corruptible stuff like silver or gold, but with his precious blood we are forgiven. Lord, I just ask and pray that we would live as your people, that we would follow after you, that we would make you known in the earth through how we live our lives, through the words which we speak, that we would be your witnesses in the earth, making your law and your great salvation known to men and to the nations of men, to the governments of men, O God. Lord, we all rejoice together here that my mom is with you now. She so longed to see you. And Lord, I thank you that her suffering is over, the pain of body, heartaches, mind, all that. Lord, peace now with you. Bless your holy name. And we just ask and pray that even this will teach us more how to think and live as Christian people. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. Hallelujah. I was hoping, Ernie, that maybe we could sing Near Our God to Thee. I'd really appreciate it. I love that song. So maybe you could all stand and we'll sing this and then I'll close in a word of prayer.
Let's pray. Father, we rejoice in you and give thanks to you for this time that we had to gather as a congregation. And again, O oh Lord, I just pray that you use all that was spoken, time of prayer and worship also. Use it all for good. Even the time at your table, bless it to the hearts of each one. May we all draw close to you. May you be glorified. May you be held in esteem in our homes, in our hearts. And may we make you known to others in the marketplace. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. May you be praised. Amen. Amen. May Christ be praised. Amen. Thank you.